Welcome to Learning with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. We cover biotech and science-related topics on this show, such as startups working on antibiotic drugs or colon cancer, to venture capitalists talking about funding and how that worked, to people talking about how they and you could found a science-backed startup. Two, and this is one of my favorite parts, people talking about science-specific science-related topics such as whales or protein engineering. You're really going to get a lot, and it's all going to be about science on this podcast. There are two main episode types. One, the case study where one or a group of people talk about what they did, and you can kind of get a sense of how you could do it as well. To the second type, which is a group talking around a theme such as citric greening, which is coming up soon, or neurodegenerative disorders, which I'm also working on. Please sign up for our newsletter to get a other resources and outside podcast content from Guests of My Own Research, which comes out every Monday. Join us every Tuesday for new podcast releases and check out the website every Thursday for something new. You can find us at, at Lowell here on Twitter, Facebook, and my website, learningwithlowell.com. And don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. It takes really only 10 seconds for you to do any of those things, which helps me and my guests create great content because it gives us feedback, lets other people know about it, and the more people will know about science and support it, the better everything is. Today we have Ben of Neuraloom, a neuroscientist, neuroengineer who has developed an amazing technology. He was a part of Deep Science Ventures, which we had on the show with Dom, one of the founders. See more about that in another episode. But in this episode, we learn about his passion, where it comes from, the amazing application of his technology, why it's really unique and special, why it's different than anything else that's out there, and ultimately what he does to stay current, what he does, gather a lot of different experiences. And if you want to see the different types of things we covered, check the show notes on the website, Learn With Lowell, which are also hyperlinked, so you can go right to those sections and check them out to see if it's right for you. Or which are really great on re-listen. I know I do that. Hope each and every one of you enjoy the show. Leave a review and let me know what you think. Honestly, I love all feedback. I hope you enjoy Ben. I know I did. So let's get into this. So what made you choose Deep Science Ventures as the people you wanted to work through to build your product and company? Deep Science Ventures, they've often asked me how I found them and I have no idea. (laughs) But once I found their website, however that was, if the message really sang to me of this. Other routes to developing your ideas and having an impact on society that was alternative to academia. I'd been sort of studying my, my whole life up to that point, straight through bachelor's, master's, PhD. And I was kind of set on a postdoc, fellowship, lecturer kind of track. And that kind of Towards the PhD, I started feeling a little bit burnt with the system, feeling like there's got to be other stuff out there. Deep Science Ventures seem to be really, really saying, hey, there is something out there other than the track you're on. And I'd always had an interest in sort of venting, and and, and the thing that's always driven me has, has been really to do the research, to find things out. The academic process was just kind of a means for which I could be in a lab and I could do stuff, so and self-direct And it looked like as a postdoctoral researcher, or even as a fellow, I was going to have to kind of lose that autonomy. Whereas Deep Science Ventures was sort of offering another route that would allow me to not only retain my autonomy, but build on it and build something larger than just me, but was still driven by my ideas and my passion for developing neurotechnology. Did it change your vision from day one to where you are now? It had a massive impact on my, on my, it gave me a whole new lens. So I started out as a neuroscientist with a sort of biological lens. Then I went into engineering and I sort of can now switch an engineering lens on. 
But this entrepreneurial lens that I developed with Deep Science Ventures is a totally different way of looking at problems and developing ideas with a different criteria, a very specific criteria. And it took me from being a kind of whimsical academic who longed for some impact and uh, real-life application of their science to somebody who could who could do that, <laughs> I guess. I also had this math. You know, as a PhD student, I became very passionate, but I was I was blinkered by the end. You know, I was like the work felt a bit like Animal Farm boxer. <laughs> I will work harder, and just on this one track, you know, I had a couple of key goals and ways to reach them. It helped to really, under, especially the first month at Deep Science Ventures, where you spend a lot of time working on very diverse projects with very diverse specialists. That it really helped. You know, I worked on sustainable fish farming, organ storage, preventing surgical complications. And it helped just like open open that creative eye, sort of start to look around. And then it was when I looked on my own research with fresh eyes, that's when that really had value. And I could see a whole new load of value in the skills that I already had. Do you have intellectual idols, like in the sense that, like when you were in your PhD program versus now with this new lens, have, have your intellectual idols, if you have them? changed at all well i actually met one of them through the process i mean i can't i'm not sure if intellectual idol was necessarily how i describe him but someone who was sort of eminent in the field a sort of a, a seminal figure you know i won't i won't speak specifically but i you know in the process of the startup i've actually i've met them and i pitched to them and I had technical discussions with them and they were kind of just like any other old stuffy professor really so <laughs> it kind of it reaffirmed that that actually moving out of academia this kind of more dynamic deep tech startup world was really the right place for me to be in. it's good to know that you got to meet your hero i don't know maybe hero or whatever you got to meet the person <laughs> yeah it's just a shame that they're kind of disappointing when you meet them face to face that's the that's the lesson there i think <laughs> neuroloom why did why that name like just most simplest way to start like why'd you choose that as a name so there's a, there's a couple of things behind that. One thing is that I really wanted to get across this idea of, of manufacturing. I mean, the neuro is implicit in the fact that we, we're, we're dealing with the, the, the nervous system. But I wanted to show that we weren't just dealing with the nervous system, that we were building things out of the nervous system. We were using neural tissue as our thread and that we were... Then we weave that thread of neurons into electronics to give electronics the capability of interacting with the nervous system with the body there's another background to it that actually my uh, long distant ancestors were in the industrial revolution in in glasgow and they uh, partially invent well, they invented one of the automated looms for for weaving carpets actually you know so i sort of wanted to hark back to some of that sort of in entrepreneurial inventorship that the sort of sort of spans back the generations. I like the name then. It did take a while, and it's actually interesting. This since then, I've I've met other other people who've also liked the name, but for a different reason. In that, actually, I mean, maybe maybe you're familiar with this, but one of the early neuropsychologists, Sheldrake, I believe, described the the brain as an enchanted loom, which is with sort of shuttles weaving backwards and forwards to kind of to sort of weave the the material of consciousness, kind of. which is another nice analogy. I wasn't that hot on it when it was first brought up. It was actually brought up by that seminal figure I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I didn't actually know who he was talking about, so I looked like an idiot instead. It's kind of backfired. <laughs> Do you have a 
back to the personality about you, do you have an internal or external locus of control, in your opinion? Oh, I, I'd like to think I have a, an internal locus of control. I'm generally, I kind of put the, put the weight on me and where I can get to and what I can do. But I, our environment does shape us massively as well. And I, I couldn't be where I was if, if it wasn't for all of the uh, seemingly unrelated events that lead you to where you are in your life. Sometimes you just have a chat on a train with a random person, and that's really, that's really what sends you in a whole new direction. Yeah, I feel like it should be a sliding scale. Because I'm, well, I'm like you. It's like I, I own my decisions as they're mine. I don't, there's a, a mix-up. I'd rather own it because then I know I can ch- – at the end of the day, you know you can change yourself to, an, to a greater extent than you can change someone else. Uh, it's more comforting because it's like, oh, something screwed up. I can improve myself. Something screwed up. There's nothing you can do. Then you just watch the house burn down. And like, <laughs> where's the improvement? <laughs> yeah, no, it's that, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to accept my, my failings and, and glorify them as learning experiences. But I, if I can't say that I, I, I mean, I always feel like there's some kind of mystical universe being out there handing me, handing me jokers half the time, which kind of helps. You know, they're sort of, you'll just keep meeting, meeting that, you know, you really need, I don't know a grant writing specialist and and then you know you knock someone's coffee over and you get talking to them and the next thing you know they're they're editing your grants for you for free and and that that kind of thing is you know i think that's that that sort of external variables are also they're also very key and you've got to keep your eye out for, for that sort of those random random encounters it's funny that you say that because i've experienced that it makes me think like am i in the matrix because it's like as soon as i it's just something you're paying attention to, attention to more likely. But it makes me feel like I'm in the Matrix or something. It's like this is too coincidental. Like I was just thinking about this, and now I'm seeing it everywhere. I think you're you're right on what you say. If that's kind of heightened awareness, isn't it? Once you've once you've noticed noticed the, the the thing once, you start seeing it everywhere, and and then it starts coming to you sometimes without without you asking it. So before we jump in to talk more about the startup you built. Were there specific reasons why you wanted to work to make therapies to help people? Like why you chose this over accounting or anything else? Like why, why this path? There's, there's kind of like, I guess if I was trying to sum it down quickly, there's three core reasons. One was, one, the main one is that, you know, I was always fascinated in the nature of reality. And, and to understand that, I felt like I needed to, to develop an understanding of the brain and, and how the brain interacts with the environment, environment better. That's kind of at the, the very core. When I was young, my you know, my mother also had um, multiple sclerosis, and later on she developed epilepsy, and then uh, some other other sort of autoimmune conditions, and and that kind of constant unknown in this kind of otherwise rather easily describable world that I grew up in really piqued my curiosity and also my passion. But it wasn't actually until I'd been it was halfway through Deep Science Ventures, and I I sort of had the idea behind Neuroloom already. And it was, I was actually involved with working with another startup at uh, Deep Science Ventures, which I was really passionate about and I thought was a really good idea. Been involved since the kind of early stages. But my skill set didn't really fit the bill. I was kind of stretching, stretching, you know, my, I wasn't really using my specialism. I went to see a family friend who unfortunately had been paralyzed about four years beforehand. It's a, re- it's a disease that really points out the power of the nervous system. It's gillian in an infection that you can pick up from just food poisoning, causes an autoimmune reaction where your immune system degrades your in- 
your entire peripheral nervous system. Slowly from losing to sensation to your fingers to your whole internal organs shutting down. And this this guy had he he'd actually, he'd actually overcome that to some extent, and he'd regained a little regained control of his organs and his hands, and he was yeah, on a very very slow steady recovery. And then he unfortunately he was diagnosed with liver cancer and given about two months to live. And so this was the last time I, I saw him living, and you know seeing him paralyzed, and, but with this potential for 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 full restoration. I you know you could see his hands every time I saw him. You know not often every three four months. I could sort of see he had a little bit more dexterity. And and then that's when I thought, you know, like if I've actually got an idea that could potentially have an have impact on alleviating the suffering of, of people in these sort of conditions, it doesn't really matter what else I do with my life. You know, I should just give that a go. You know, even if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. You've got a you've got an idea, you've kind of got a you've got a you're you're sort of letting everybody down if you don't have a shot. So I, I chucked the towel in with the with the other starter, sort of set off set off on my and didn't look back. Yeah, good decision, bad decision in hindsight. Are you like are you happy with the decision? Oh, are you- brilliant! Yeah, absolutely, definitely couldn't couldn't be happier with it. I mean, the other startup's still great, but I would if I'd stayed with them this long, you know, I would be really constantly stretching onto what what involvement I really had, what was my real speciality. Whereas the core technology behind Neuralume, which is Sculpting the growth of neurons is like what I spent the last five years doing, and there's and there's very few people out there who can do it like me. So it's kind of just it's kind of perfect. It's a good match, and it's it's just been one of the most incredible learning experiences I've ever had, and it just seems to be building momentum. So yeah, at, the, at this point, you know, <laughs> ab- absolutely no regret. You know, six months could be a total different picture, but um, don't tell the, the investors that, I guess, but. Also, you're like the captain of the ship, so like, if you don't like what where you're going, you can easily like turn the wheel. So being the captain of the ship isn't always a isn't always the uh, that's not always a perk though, because you know sometimes you know there's difficult decisions to be made, and you know occasionally someone has to be you know thrown overboard, for example, and that's uh, that's a tough you know walking the plank. You've got to make that decision too. So it's uh, it it also comes with you know difficult responsibilities, but again they grow you as an individual and as a as a as a professional what all needed to come together for you to develop something that can actually help people like what like if, i don't know if you ever seen the movie the a team or something but like who was did you, <laughs> did you need the certain type of team did you need to get ip like what what all did you need to do to build it the very first step was to kind of get some validation in the field you know People needed to to see that there was there was sort of specialists out there in the field of neuroengineering, neurobiology, electrical engineering who who agreed with what I was saying, uh, and and clinicians as well. Um, so to sort of give me that sort of initial stamp of approval that you know I haven't just had some wild idea that's sort of based on nothing. So the first step was to get a, a, a team of academic advisors on board who agreed with me that the idea was worth exploring and would also give me access to um, the laboratory facilities and, um, uh, yeah, and, and sort of essentially free free resources. Um, Neuralooms, you know, has it has a very, essentially very high reward, but it, it has a huge amount of technical risk. We're trying to collect electronics and into the nervous system using a tissue engineered you know bit of artificial neural tissue so there's there's an old you know the biggest thing was to dissuade the skeptical this is totally crazy 
viewpoint, which pretty much everybody in my incubator had at the beginning. <laughs> but once you, you know, once you have a, a collection of professors and surgeons backing you up, people start to take you a little bit more seriously. So that was, that was the first step. Um, also, also to begin getting a team around me was, was, was kind of key. Um, although, well, although, I mean, yeah, that was kind of made, made, made out to be key, um, from the investment point of view. Um, but I think I hurried into forming a team too quickly. Um, and, and that kind of was also a big learning experience to sort of try out a relationship with a co-founder that didn't work. Um, and yeah, and then the next big step, like, like you said, was intellectual property, which is why I can kind of happily talk to you now and I can write lots of applications and grant funding because Neuroloom already has, has a, a patent pending covering the, um, the key concepts that, that gives Neuroloom value. And without that, without that IP base, there's nothing, there's nothing to Neuroloom. There's just my know-how and it, and you can't really sell that. To give a sense, like how how does it work without going too detailed and breaking the IP? Like, how would you explain it to someone who is less technically knowledgeable? Yeah, sure. No, it's fine. We can, we can totally go go into that. Um, so the nervous system is coordinating and controlling the vast majority of your physiological function. If the nervous system goes wrong, or that physiological function goes wrong. The nervous system is the primary therapeutic target. Now, currently, we use pharmacological agents to interact with it, but they're kind of not very specific. Um, you know, a good example is opioids. They they knock out your pain, but they make you constipated because they affect your your stomach nervous system different than they affect the rest of your nervous system. Um, so, electrical stimulation of the nervous system has a lot of promise as a as a new way of of targeting the nervous system for therapeutic purposes and there's been some success stories in terms of pacemakers for treating arrhythmia um, deep brain stimulation for parkinson's disease and uh, cochlear implants for restoring hearing to to deaf people um but the the true potential of the sort of the really the higher end stuff um hasn't hasn't been realized Pretty much because you can't just stick a plug into the nervous system. It's not gonna, it's not gonna interface very well. You, you've got this very dense biological issue and, and then you have, you know, sometimes just a sort of two dimensional array, you know, a little square of electrodes. And, uh, and when you stimulate the tissue, a good example is, is with our first use case, which is the retina and these, and visual prostheses. So you, you capture a beautiful image with a digital camera, you pixelate that, and then you, you stimulate the retina with one of these sort of two-dimensional arrays of little electrodes with the image that you've captured. But the retina is three-dimensional and it's complex tissue. There's lots of circuitry in there that, that were both inhibitory circuits and excitatory circuits. So when you stimulate there, you're, you're turning on the on switches and the off switches. It's like you're, you're, typing with your fists you know you're pressing all the buttons at the time and and you know you don't get you don't get that uh that nice quote you're trying to write but you just get gobbledygook and that's unfortunately the situation with the the visual prostheses at the moment so what we do at neuroloom like we mentioned before is we weave neurons into the electronics 
So to sort of de- explain that a bit more, we, we take the electronics that you would normally put into the body and, and, uh, and we produce some sort of, a sort of, uh, essentially needles, um, on, on the, we print these needles onto the electronic using a sort of high resolution 3D printing technique. Um, we print these needles onto the electronics and then we culture neurons, disassociated neurons. So, you know, we've mushed them up and just put the neurons down onto the electronics. So the, the neurons are now they're sitting right on the electronic and they extend their axons, their little output wires up the needle. And then we take those needles and we stick those into the tissue we want to stimulate. So the, the neurons we cultured, they form like a sort of bioadapter, you know, an, a, an adapter between the electronics and the neural tissue. So when we, when we stimulate the neurons that are grown on the electronics, they pass the, t- the signal onto us in a kind of biologically friendly way. And we can, we can exploit the neurons natural ability to target other specific neurons to get that stimulation very specifically. So we can really kind of weave into the existing circuitry in the neural tissue. And rather than rather than turn on all of the on and off switches, is on when we want to, and we can sort of then benefit from the fact that there's a complex circuit that we're interacting with. That's fascinating. That's is that the most advanced, like, or of the most advanced ways to interact with neural tissue, or like how, like, on a scale of like one of like fist smashing, or I don't know, like burrowing a hole in someone's head to release the evil inside them. Yeah. <laughs> to future almost magic we're still in the process of, of validating this technology so you know in terms of on the technology readiness scale as as nasa like to use and the other other big companies is you know we're like minus one or something you know zero but we're in we're between no we're about th- zero to three so we're we're uh you know we're in the process of showing this work so in that sense you know, it's very at the forefront because it hasn't even happened yet. Now, if it does work, yeah, it's like, it's, um, just trying to think of an analogy to go with your magic principle, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely from at the other end of the scale from, um, like, in, you know, you've got electroconvulsive therapy, which is, you know, boring it pretty much like boring into the brain. I mean, it works kind of, but it's, you know, you're on mass charging the whole nervous with a big shock. Whereas, whereas what we do really is we take tissue engineering tools and we use that to allow us to tie our in, uh, electronics into the existing nervous system. So we kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like we grow a bit of the nervous system on you that's for for sticking a plug in. It's like growing a port on you. So, we, you know, it's 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 kind of closer to, to the, the Borg or the cyborg end than ever before because... When you implant an electrical implant into a human, you could kind of call them a cyborg-ish. But what we do is we take our electronics, we grow bits of nervous system on the electronics. Believe me, it's a word they call it biologizing. And then you, <laughs> you, you put that biologized electric device then into the human. So we're putting biology into electronics, and then we're putting biological electronic hybrid devices into humans. So... When it comes to the point of where the line is between the biology and the electronics, we're really trying to blur that. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. We, if it works, it's definitely the most advanced and sophisticated way of stimulating the nervous system that, 
that we currently have. Although, you know, Elon Musk and Brian Johnson in Silicon Valley are, are trying to do their best to come up with something too. Is there anything that's leading you to be confident with data? Like anything that makes you feel like, hey, this is going to work out? Uh, we don't have, we don't, I mean, there's a core experiment that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm burning, I'm burning to get done and that we'll really find out whether, whether we've got something going on. We've, we've got, in fact, I mean, just, just this morning I got a bit more of an update on it and um, we've got a little further in that we have, you know, we've, we've successfully uh, grown neurons up these very high aspect ratio needles now. So we can, we're sure that we can, we can get that bit sorted. But the difficult bit is really what happens when those neurons get it. And, we, and we, we know definitely we can stimulate those neurons. You know? So we've got neurons engineered into sort of needle-like structures, and we can stimulate them and, and we can make them work. Now, what happens when they get into the nervous system? That's where most of our challenges and our potential lies. Um, all we, you know, the first step is just to show that we can use this technique to, to, to stimulate that tissue. But that's actually, actually, there's been a couple of academics um, one in Pennsylvania and one in here in the UK in London um, that um, that have demonstrated you can use neurons as a sort of go between an electrical device and the and the host tissue. And what we add is sort of microengineering them into needles. So if you take the fact that we've engineered them into needles and you take the fact that people have used neurons as a go between electronics and and the nervous system together both as evidence then you could say well yeah it looks it looks like it's going to work but we haven't taken our needle and shown that we can selectively stimulate neural tissue yet and and you know we're kind of all that's that's what all the money and the collaborations that we're putting together at the moment are all about showing that is there anything that i i really love the way it, it sounds and how I think that you're, you're focusing on the retina, but I imagine that you have even more applications that you're, you're thinking of. What are some other big areas to adapt this technology? Well, one thing is we, we want to help um, neuroscientists with with experimental tools that are you know better better for probing the the function of neural circuits, um, and that's the easiest that's the kind of easiest straightaway application that we can we're actually going to develop even before the retina because we don't need so many so much regulatory pr- approval. Um, but back to the therapeutics, um, well, one is, um, with, is with prosthetic limbs. Um, that situation is actually kind of attractive to us because you, with, a, with an amputee, you have a regenerating nerve there already. You've got this severed neural tissue that's regenerating. And that's like a, prime, you know, a great target for our technology to interact with. As that nerve regenerates, our neural neural construct can grow grow into that that regenerating nerve and um, and allow for you know for sensation and very fine motor control to to be restored to some of these beautiful you know again wonderful robotic arms that people are producing these days. The problem again is how do you plug it in? to the nervous system when it has so, so much, when it collects so much information and it can do so much. And then a, a sort of a, a big thrust is with, with the rest of bioelectronic medicine, which is the, um, the mod- modulating the peripheral nervous system's activity to, to modulate specific organs. And one I'm, I'm particularly excited about is, um, is, the, is the vagal nerve, um, which has 
at the moment they kind of it's like a last treatment for one of well one of the later treatments for drug resistant epilepsy is stimulating the vagal nerve it's also been shown to be promising for arthritis uh, and also multiple sclerosis um, and Crohn's disease so auto auto um, you know it's autoimmune diseases primarily um, and also epilepsy <clears throat> but at the moment they pretty much do the same treatment for all of those diseases right uh, and you can imagine that actually that that there's this nerve that controls a lot of the bodily function, this vagal nerve, um, and a lot of the immune response. And, and there's no finesse in how we use it. We just wrap a wrap an electrode cuff around it and stimulate the whole thing. So you know if we can we can use our technology to to finally control that nerve. Um, you know we we could get much better control of the immune system and and. And the, the fight for auto fight against autoimmune diseases could really be turned on its head. Is there anything we can do to like be helpful? E- either promote your type of science in your company, or like just this type of science? Yeah, well, we had. I mean, I have considered because it kind of because the technology. You know, as a deep tech company, you don't often reach out to things like crowdfunding and this sort of sort of thing because you're normally so far away from from the masses, as it were. But but when you know you're proposing a technology that could that could really you know change the way that we interact with machines and and change the way we look at treating disease like like you know it it can really people really get get on board with it and it's why I've been able to sort of accrue so much support without really paying anybody so that's really worked out for me <laughs> but <laughs> you know i mean if if people want want to get involved or want to help then then please get in touch with me um we might set up a sort of crowdfunding sort of set up at some point um the other thing you know it's, it's probably if it's you know to the to the younger generation who might be listening it's kind of like well go out there you know get into this field or similar field and and have new innovative ideas you know you could come help me do mine but the best thing you can do out there is go and have like a totally unique set of experience which is known as your life and 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 hopefully something can come out of that 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 nobody else would have thought of and that's the most valuable valuable thing you can contribute and you can sort of style it and point it in the direction of bioelectronic medicine if that's what you're passionate about but adding something totally new that I wouldn't be able to think of because I'm constrained by by my experience you know that's the way you can really have the biggest impact who listen to you and you're thinking hey neuroengineering like that sounds interesting are there any i don't know good primer books or resources or little experiments they can run to see if that's something that interests them like not like maybe not legit experiments thought hypothesis they can run through to see if that is something that would be fascinating to them well you know i mean sci-fi is not a bad place to start that's there's a lot of there's a lot of different depictions of of neural engineering in that whole world there's also you know there's a lot of different types of neuroengineering that's the first thing you kind of got to get out the door as well we really do this sort of hardware biological electronic interfaces side but there's a whole another probably in the end more important or interesting field is this sort of mathematical neuroengineering side where which is it's kind of what ai was born out of a little bit right which is sort of studying how basic neural functions happen and and how we can then mimic how the neurons process information to improve how we process information and so if you're sort of less on the biological side and less on the hardware side but you're also really interested in neuroengineering and you're a bit sort of on the mathematical side then and actually 
neuroengineering in general, most of the times you hear the term is referring to the mathematical modeling of of neural function is is what you are, is what you perceive, is what you see, hear, feel, and do. So being able to understand that mathematically and, and process that is is another side of neuroengineering. This is also incredibly fascinating and and really intrinsic to what we are. We hope that our 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 technique for improving the interface between electronics and biology will only help accelerate that area. Otherwise, on the sort of just a book you pick up, there's not and nothing sort of nothing's jumping to mind. I mean, you kind of got to learn a bunch of neuroscience and then a bunch of engineering, and then go you know go from there <laughs> and do whichever one you're most passionate about. I mean, I was just very passionate about neuroscience, so it was just a joy for me to do my neuroscience degree. There were hiccups along the way. Generally, it was it was very enjoyable, and I saw that the thing that was leading all the, the developments in neuroscience was the new tools they had. So I wanted to go and build new tools for the neuroscientists because that was the best way that I could have any kind of impact. And that's my that's kind of my philosophy, But and I'd recommend it to others. But it's also about really digging into what's the thing that really interests you most in that situation. Is it the maths behind it? Is it the bio bit? Is it building cool electronics that have got living stuff on it? Find whichever one's the real thing that calls out to you. Follow that to your heart's content. And then, just like an entrepreneur would do, pivot. Pivot when you change, find something new, and take a new direction. Get as many lenses as you can. Question about the technology. Is the throughput of data a one-to-one ratio, or is there degradation? That's exactly what we're improving, is we're improving the information transfer between electronics and the nervous system. So hit the nail on the head there. For our first go is is not to be one to one probably like more like one to five or something like that is kind of what we're aiming for in the retina that's kind of pretty good and it's also it's also the fact that they're going to be the right five we're going to be hitting the right subtype of cells so we're not losing we're not negating the information previous attempts are kind of maybe more like one to a hundred or something along those lines maybe more probably and it's one to it's like one to 50 of the right ones and, and and one to 50 of the wrong ones so they kind of almost cancel each other out so the fact that we're getting we're going to improve that that density of stimulation but we also improve the selectivity is, is like really where our values are from where you are now how long until you know is it like a long are we talking years are we talking like six months or until we know whether it's whether we're whether we're on the right track it's uh shouldn't yeah six months we hope the the sort of that sort of well you know it's, it's if you get a positive result we'll know if we get a positive result quickly you know we may get a positive result quickly so we may, we may have that answer that we're, we're really on to something really powerful within within six months maybe even less but just because it doesn't work the first time doesn't mean we'll give up there so we'll spend about two years giving it a go before you know before we give up on it i think we kind of answered this but are there big challenges that you're thinking of right now you're grappling with to get it from infant to like walking and talking and being a toddler the biggest challenge is is also for me it's come from you know it's just started just as an idea in my head and then that became like a really big idea in my head because i spent a lot of time researching it and thinking about it 
I also then spread out to form a, a you know connections with lots of people who contribute to me in various contribute to the idea and the company in various ways. So one of the biggest challenges for me is managing my own mind, keeping track of all of these many threads. Probably I'm probably in the midst of sort of solving five or six technical issues as well as developing three or four new collaborations and replying for three or four pots of money as well as all the miscellaneous bits in between. I've got a bit of a team, and and they they're great at, at, at helping unload that off me. But it, I'm I'm not a you know I'm a little lab rat really, and I'm just learning how to delegate and how to to share share this sort of business is no use to anyone if it's just in my head. So it's getting it's externalizing it, getting other people to be able to promote it, to be able to develop it. Is really key because it also that process of communicating it to somebody well enough that they can take on some of the tasks is a great way of also refining and and developing the core concept and the idea. And and for me, that's one of the biggest challenges is is kind of learning to be a, a more of a sort of coordinating managerial kind of role. And developing that side of me is uh, is going to be. It's going to be challenging, but good fun. Yeah. To echo your belief that you're you have an internal locus of control, that that is the response you would have. So it it sounds like time management, scheduling, like how to like build things accordingly, and then how to manage and lead people is if that was a good summary. Now that I know that, I will help you. And if anyone else who is listening, if anyone else who's listening wants to give suggestions, like send them that his way as well. For people who hear you and think of you as an inspiring person, because like I I I definitely feel that. When I hear you, because I, I love the passion, I love what you're doing, what would you advise they read or reflect on to make use of their uniqueness? Go have those experiences, go be who you are, and then develop something to make use of people's uniqueness. Yeah, so for me, I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, I mean, I, I, do, I do enjoy reading and, and I've loved reading all my life, but it, it's, for me, it's, that's not the primary source of my inspiration. It's much more in these random interactions with people that that you come across in your life for me it's traveling to other parts of the world and seeing very distinct ways of looking at the world the way people have conversations in in very far-flung parts of the world really vary a lot some cultures they won't say they won't say no to you no matter what you say you know and that having these really totally diverse experiences for me is it's it's like the you know it's kind of getting them as diverse as possible i've had some sort of very wealthy, sophisticated friends, uh, but I, you know, I kind of like to sit on the street and have a beer with a beggar from time to time. And and it's for me, it's like getting that, getting that real range, just really making it diverse. You know, spend all day, you know, spend all week in the house reading, and then go and spend all month, you know, swimming in rivers. Get that, get that. Con- for me, it's the contrast that I find really valuable is just doing. Doing the opposites of things, and 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 that kind of forces me to be stretched in every way and sort of grow in the center. One of the things that I'm noting from your suggestion is to break the mold that you've built for yourself. Do the opposite. Don't do the thing that you think you should do. Then you can't grow because, like, oh, you know, you know how that's going to work out. You know, I've walked down this path before. I know what is there, though it is enjoyable. That isn't as stimulating per se, then going down a different path that maybe looks sketchy, but then you go down it and they're really nice. And just like you, I've always think it's funny when like some people will be surprised who I talk to. Like I'll talk to people like all these tattoos over their body and they're like, oh, aren't you afraid they're going to, I don't know, attack you? And it's like, why would he do that? He's having a <laughs> yeah. safe day. Like he's, 
<laughs> it's it's always interesting to me how people say no to others without realizing it. Like saying no to them entering their lives. And it's like, if I say no to you entering my life, like I have a specific reason for it. It's not like a bias I have. <laughs> so, but it's always interesting to yeah. me. Like especially big people, like they're very gentle. Because they've had to learn. Learn to be very gentle, the big people. That's the that's the thing as well. Yeah. And I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more than no. Absolutely. It's about that. Because, you know, the other thing is that like, whatever, there's like six, seven billion of us or something. And there's been like, if, but if you do the cumulative human population, it's kind of, it's kind of big, right? I mean, I don't know what it is, but how many of us there's 100 been? 100 billion? But there's been a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Great. To try to find a new path, a really cool, innovative path, amongst all of those other paths you gotta you gotta kind of like you said break those molds break the mold you know you think you kind of found your place in society but maybe turn it on its head for a little bit try try to be in a different position and and that really may not work for other people i just for me that's i think the source source of some of my creativity definitely i like the advice and it's it's always like take things with a grain of salt like filter them through your life sometimes give advice or get advice they think they have to take it literally and it's like, no, just it's it's something to think about, like, like chew on it and then make the smart. If you make a bad decision, do not blame us. <laughs> That's basically what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. You have to own yeah, exactly. internal <laughs> internal locus of control right there. So exactly. We're going to have a lot of viewers sort of coming back saying that they, they got robbed by beggars and beaten up by tattooed men after this, <laughs> after this edition. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not literal advice, exactly. Just that generic idea of just, you know, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Get out of there. Keep changing it up. Is that a quote? Life begins at the edge of your comfort zone? I love that. Who says that? But other than my mother, I don't really know. <laughs> the final question I have is for people who are excited about you and your development and your company's development, where can we go to learn more? Like, what can we do? I mean, we kind of answered do, but like, what can to be supportive? Like yeah, how can we follow along? You, you can you can check out the website. There's not a whole lot on there at the moment, but we're going to be building it up in the in the next month. So so keep your eyes open for that. And uh, and you know feel free free to get in touch as well. We're we're kind of happy to to help and and we actually want to start reaching out to the kind of um, the sort of amateur neurotechnology community, which is sort of building and and thriving, I believe, and and really get involved. Um, involved in engaging with the public on this because you know it, if these technologies really shoot off it's it's key that, that that we're all going there together because it could really really change how we how not only how we treat disease but how we organize our societies so it's important it's important that we're all part of this narrative i want to thank you for coming out today i think we had a, a great conversation oh, it was great level it's thought-provoking and it reminds me to take some of some of that advice yourself because that's the other thing is it's always easy it's always easy to give out advice, but you know, following your own is kind of one of the hardest parts. When someone gives me advice, I ask myself two questions. One, who are they giving the advice to, right? Like which, because everyone sees different versions of us, right? Everyone sees different versions of who you are. So then it's like, who are they playing to? Are they playing to the science version of me? You know, like, so they ask that question. And then two, do they follow do they follow their advice? Or they have they ever followed that <laughs> advice, which has led to success? I can tell you jump across this canyon, Right, like you should jump across this canyon, but I have not jumped across that canyon, and I don't know <laughs> if you will live. And that was Ben of Neuralum. Remember to check the show notes for links and for hyperlink timestamps to easily navigate the audio section. I hope each one of you got something from it. I know I did. Thank you for joining us today with Learning with Lowell. I am your host, Lowell Thompson. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell Was Here, Facebook, and on the website 
learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you. (laughs) 